Father, we uh, give you thanks that you have provided for us the instruction, the owner's manual for this life. What we are supposed to do if we'd like to become spiritually mature, where we are able to handle the word properly, where we are able to speak good and wholesome words, where we are able to provide instruction and gain knowledge, all of these things you have laid out in your word. And I pray that we'd be like Timothy and you'd bring to us some who are like Paul, that they're able to instruct us and guide us in the ways of truth. Father, we do recognize you are God and there is none other. And we know that you have a sovereign plan. But in the midst of that sovereign plan, help us to recognize our roles and what we are to be about doing. What is our business? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, we covered five things to set an example in that that Paul told Timothy this is what he was supposed to do. Speech, life, love, faith, and purity. And speech, the way that you communicate with each other. Are you harsh? What is your tone? Or are you being very tactful when you speak to somebody? The life, how you live, not foolishly. Don't do stupid things that might get you in trouble. I recently saw... This little video of somebody getting next to the edge of this waterfall. The water was going over the edge and it went down probably 75 feet. Well, and they were wearing a GoPro on their head. And they got a little too close to the edge and they went all the way down. It looked like the person was a runner, not a hiker. And they ended up in this pool of water. Thankfully, there was enough water down at the bottom to preserve their life. You don't want to do things in a stupid fashion. Uh, You want to make sure you're not putting yourself in harm's way or others. How about love? Compare and contrast the foolish with the wise. A fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but the man of understanding delights in wisdom. If you're going to love your fellow human beings, we are not supposed to find pleasure in evil conduct, but we are to seek out understanding. What about faith? Demonstrate a trust in God and not self. People ask you, how you doing? What are you going through? The trials that you're experiencing? Do you simply say, oh, I'm good? Or do you say, you know, God just brought me through a a huge trial. And I'm thankful for that because each one of us will have a trial in our lives. And also purity. Are we living in a way that is holy, that is sanctified and set apart? Timothy was given additional directives as Paul continues to write his letter. And Paul told Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. That's what he is supposed to do as a pastor. Now, any one of these you might think you're to be involved in as well. Maybe not public reading of Scripture. Uh, Preaching to others. Have you ever preached to somebody? Have you ever come alongside them and said, you know, you ought not to be doing that. This is not going to work out well for you. You're going to get in all kinds of trouble if you continue on this road. And here's why. God says, don't be doing this type of thing. Have you ever done that? That's kind of preaching. That's exhortation. What about teaching? We teach our children, right? We teach our children how to eat, how to clean their teeth, make their beds, clean up their rooms. We teach them all of these things for the physical life here. But what about spiritually? Do you teach them spiritually? And how will somebody know the gospel? How should they know how they're supposed to live unless we tell them? Romans ten fourteen. how then can they call on the one 
they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news so it's our job to go out and present the gospel preach if necessary read scripture if necessary all of these things now remember the public reading of scripture people did not have access to books the internet magazines and newspapers back in the time that this was written If you had publications, they had to be handwritten. They didn't have a printing press. The printing press was not made until centuries later. And so they they would have scrolls, but all these scrolls are handwritten. And so if you had that, or if you had cuneiform on clay tablets, imagine, I I got 20 books I got to carry. Well, they're all clay tablets, and you're carrying them around in baskets. And Or you had uh, hieroglyphics. Well, you can't really carry that anywhere, but you could learn how to read it because it's on the wall, something like that. But people did not have the ability to just read something. That's why Timothy was told, go out and do public reading of Scripture. And if he did that, he would get a following coming around. Now, when we went on a missionary adventure to Ireland, we went on Grafton Street and we took trash cans and drumsticks with us. And when we got in the middle of Grafton Street, and Grafton Street, you don't drive on it, you only walk on it, and there's two times a day where there's hundreds and hundreds of people that go through this Grafton Street, and there's shops on either side, but it's away from the residential area to the business area, and people walk through there all the time. So we took our trash cans, we turned them over, we started beating on them like drums, we had these cadences down, and people would gather around, they'd look at it. Some guys got mad, a guy down the street, he was playing guitar, and we drowned him out, and he came over and he kicked one of the trash cans you know Irish they can't have a temper and he did he just kicked that one trash can but we didn't skip a beat we just kept on playing gave the guy 20 bucks and say sorry about that and he was appeased and so he went away but after that the people were all standing around it would be the same thing if you read scripture people would stand around during this time they would want to learn And so the people came around where we had the trash cans and the drumsticks going and the cadences going. And as soon as we were done, the people that were with us and all of us playing drums, we just mingled in with the people. Hey, what do you think? You know, we're from America. We're here to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to it? And I got a wreck in my head. And they would listen to what we had to say. And we were able to give the gospel and we were able to open the Bibles up and give them instruction. And there were many who, who... accepted Jesus Christ. And then there's preaching, which involves uh, telling people that they should live a pure and godly life, and for that is for the believer, and for the unbeliever, repentance. Now, as an adult, what's your first reaction when somebody tells you how to act as an adult? For instance, if somebody tells you walking into the store now, put on your mask, what do you think on the inside? Okay, and yeah, it's no problem. Or do you think, this is so ridiculous. Why are they having us do this anymore? You know, what do you think? Do you, or somebody tells you to do a particular task on a job. Say, for instance, a journeyman is on a job in the trades and an apprentice comes along and says, hey, could you go over there and take care of this stuff? What do you think the journeyman's going to say? Who are you talking to? You know, he's going to pull out his hammer and hold it right there and say, you better go do your own job. Something like that. We don't like to be told what to do. We like to be free. We don't like to have restrictions. We like to engage in behaviors that please us. 
And really, it doesn't matter about anybody else. Now, that's contrary to the scriptures, but how popular are you going to be if you start preaching to people and telling them to do particular things that the flesh doesn't want to do? Are you going to be very popular? Probably not. Well, if you read scripture and you tell people that their behaviors are sinful and you ought not to do them, what do you think that they're going to think of you? Well, you're not going to be very popular for the most part. What about teaching the statutes of the Lord? That there's God, there's sin, there's man, redemption, service, destiny, morality, and purpose. All of those things which we are supposed to communicate. How popular are you going to be if you tell somebody your life is full of sin and you need to repent? You need to turn towards God and give your life to him and serve him all the days of your life. And then you'll end up in heaven. How popular would you be? Not very popular, I dare say. Now, those who are in the faith, they have the ability to receive the word. The person who is unsaved doesn't have much of that ability unless the Holy Spirit prompts them on the inside to be able to receive it and understand it. Uh, So when you combine the public reading of Scripture, the preaching and the teaching, uh, and you're supposed to perform these things diligently, as Paul was telling Timothy, it is a recipe for rejection. Now, this could be why Timothy was a little fearful and shy. Now, how do I know that he was fearful and shy? In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. So see, he was being rejected, and Paul is writing a letter, a preemptive letter to say, don't reject Timothy. I could see Timothy walking on a road, going over to Corinth, going, God, they're probably not going to like me over there. And Paul's telling me to go over here. And what am I supposed to do? You know, I, I love Christ and I want to serve him, but this is tough. And then he says, I want you to preach. I want you to read publicly the scriptures. And I, I want you to teach. I want you to do those things too. And so there's Timothy going, holy vey, all this, and all these instructions that Timothy has been given by Paul, all these directives which are here. You think that at some point Timothy probably said, I give up. Maybe I should give up. Well, but that wouldn't be pleasing to the Lord if I gave up. You know, the Lord told those involved in ministry in Luke chapter 9, verse 59 through 62, he said this. He said this to one man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. It wasn't that his father just died and he needed to stick him in the ground. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, I want to receive my inheritance first. Let me bury my father and then I'll come and follow you, which could be months or years or who knows how long. And then Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. So once you say, I want to follow Christ, you grab that plow. Now you could say in our vernacular of our day, you grab the steering wheel You're heading in a direction. You're hauling a load behind you. Maybe it's a big truck or something and you're, you're hauling something and you just, you start looking back like, well, I miss home. I want to go home. I don't want to drive. I don't want to be on the road. Or if you're plowing the field, this is hard work. There's rocks out here and the animals stink. And you know, I just, I don't like this and it's hot and I sweat. And if you start saying stuff like that, God says, 
You're not even worthy of the kingdom. You don't think it's going to be hard? It's going to be hard. Anything worth doing is hard. Try raising children. You think it's a piece of cake to raise children? It is not easy. People are failing all the time at that. It is hard. There's too many variables that are going on. But God says, no, stick with it. No matter how bad you think it's going to be, just stick with it. Just persevere. And one who is reluctant to start, well, you may not want to encourage them to go forward if they're just going to be a problem. You need to say, man, you need to turn your attitude around. You need to see what the scripture says. And you need to put this idea of persecution and difficulty to the side. And consider the postage stamp. You know that little thing that's on a letter? You know, the snail mail that comes through? No longer email? Its usefulness consists in its ability to stick to one thing until it gets there. That's all it's supposed to do. Be like a stamp. Just stick to it until you get there. Or the greatest oak was once a little nut who held its ground. Or you want to be like the oak tree? Well, you could be a little nut, so to speak. And you just need to hold your ground. We have so many oak trees in the East County here. And they are tough. They are stout. And the branches do not break easily. Now they can die because of armillaria. But this idea of an oak tree just starting from a little nut. God can use nuts like you and me to perform what he wants. But... It's still difficult for those in ministry. In all levels of ministry, it can be difficult. And Paul is encouraging Timothy, but I want to read you something by Dr. Bill Purvis. He wrote this, I think it was back in 2014. He gave some alarming statistics about pastoral ministry. 90% or 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused, or hurt by their trusted friends. 50% of pastors' marriages end in divorce. 70% of pastors battle depression. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,700 pastors quit each month. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94% of pastors' families feel the pressure of ministry. 78% of pastors have no close friends. 90% of pastors report working 55 to 75 hours per week with either no salary or no salary increase. And only 10% actually retire as a pastor. Who wants to sign up? Anyone? How many professions are like that? And that's what the Lord says, stick with it. Ah, forget about that persecution. Just keep on going forward. Don't worry. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's the pastoral ministry. What about somebody who just heads up a ministry? They get the same thing. Why are you doing it like that? Somebody who's been serving in ministry for 10 or 15 years. And what do you mean? Why why am I doing it like that? Because it's biblical. You know, I want to follow the biblical standard on there. But questioning and betrayals and all of that stuff, that is just common in ministry. And Paul, I'm sure, had communicated to Timothy, not these statistics, but how difficult it was going to be. And then he goes on to say, 
In verse 14, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So he has this gift. Now, all of us have a gift, whether it's in the book of Romans, the Corinthians, or Ephesians. Ephesians talk about the uh, apostles, prophets, uh, pastors, and teachers, and evangelists. That's all listed there. I believe it's chapter 4. And then you have 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. It deals with all the gifts that are there. Every one of us have a gift. Now, hopefully it's not the gift of gab, but it is the gift that is useful for the body of Christ, where either you're a teacher, you're an exhorter, you have the gift of administration. All of these things are spiritual gifts. And Timothy got one by the apostle and the elders laying their hands on Timothy. He actually got the gift by the laying on of hands. And that sets a precedent in Scripture. If somebody would like a particular gift... The elders of the church should lay their hands on them and pray for that gift. Now, Paul gave some instruction about this because the Corinthian church were misusing the gifts, especially the gift of tongues and prophecy. And this uh, idea was that tongues were more spiritual than prophecy. He says, desire the greater gifts, which is prophecy. But people wanted the gift of tongues because it made them feel spiritual, that type of thing. And... Paul just lays it out. Look, if you have a gift, fan it into flame, whatever the gift is. Now, how do you do that? Well, what if you wanted to be a weightlifter in the Olympics? How do you prepare for that? You lift weights all the time. I I saw a guy. He had two dumbbells. You know, the dumbbells are the short ones that you can hold in your hand. You can do this and you work the biceps and you work the triceps. Well, he grabbed these two solid dumbbells. The dumbbells look like they weighed about 45 pounds each. And the guy wasn't that big, but he laid them on the ground and he was pushing on them like this. And then he did a plank. You guys know what a plank is? It's where the arms are completely up and his body is over the ground, not touching the ground. He's just like this. He's laying on the ground like this with his leg down. Then he goes into a full-on handstand and comes back down and doesn't hit the ground and does another handstand. He does that three times. And you can see the people behind him in the gym. They're going, can't believe what this guy is doing, the strength that this guy has. If you're watching the Olympics, I haven't watched any of it. It goes to the gymnastics. You know, those guys get up there on the rings, the gymnasts, the men, and they just pop their arms out there like it's effortless and they're doing the iron cross. And then from there, they grab it and they just push it down. It's no problem. Have you ever been on the rings, any of you guys uh, in here? I've been on the rings before and the hardest thing is when you get up there, your arms start shaking like this and you can't hold it still. And you have to have lots of upper body strength in order to do gymnastics and lower body strength. Simone, I, I, I think that's her name in the Olympics. I'm going to try to catch some of her. but She's like fantastic. She flies across the floor. How do you think she prepared to do that? She's prepared her whole life. That's what we're supposed to do. When it comes to serving the Lord, we prepare our whole lives. We don't stop. We just keep on going. You don't say, well, I read the Bible. Okay, now what? Read it again. Again? Yeah. Go through it again. Go through all the scriptures that are there and then go a little slower and meditate on it as you're going through it. Well, that's good. Well, what else? Well, go to Bible study. Prepare. If you're not going to Bible study, you are not growing. If you're not listening to messages, you're not growing. 
And God says, I want you to grow. You know, in our electronic age, well, let's go back before the electronic age. When you guys were growing up, you probably had parents sat at the kitchen table, had a cup of coffee, and in that day and age, probably a cigarette, and grabbed the newspaper and went through the newspaper. And the Sunday paper, my dad used to be a newspaper man, the Sunday paper could be four inches thick. And how long would it take to go through that? And they'd get all the information and they'd see the one ads in the back. And now you're lucky if you get a magazine thickness on a newspaper that comes out and some people still get it. But that's the way it was. That's how they'd get their information. They would read the newspaper. And of course, whoever prints newspapers, they use ink by the barrel. And so they could print whatever they want. And most people would believe what is there. But how do we get our information? We can get it in so many different ways now. You can become so excellent in your knowledge of Christ, but you have to improve yourself by doing that as often as you probably or possibly can. Now, for me personally, I like listening to messages because I work all day long. I'm able to go to YouTube or I'm able to listen to a book, all of those things. And it just it's like gives me something to think about all day long and it's great to do that not everybody can do that but it is it is wonderful to do that but we're supposed to be involved we're supposed to put our hand to the plow we're supposed to constantly be growing and if we're not growing we're really digressing so gifts in the laying on of hands by the elders we know that we're supposed to desire the greater gifts and the greater gifts would be prophecy And if you can imagine neglecting a gift that somebody has, imagine, for instance, in automobile terms, you have a transmission. Now, for those who are familiar with the mechanical workings of a transmission, what would happen if you neglected the transmission? What would happen if you stopped working on the transmission? What happens if you just took out one gear from the transmission? And there can be dozens of gears in there. He just took out one. So I'm not going to do that anymore. How would the transmission work? Well, not very well. Uh, imagine if you had a car and you said, well, I'm not going to put oil or coolant in it anymore. It should just keep on running, right? Well, no, it's not going to keep on running. The engine is going to seize up and you're not going to be going anywhere unless it's downhill and you don't have any brakes. And what about a, a car with no tires? Beautiful car. I, I just saw a brand new Porsche. I, wow, that's a sharp looking car. Take the tires off. It ain't going anywhere. It's flat on the ground. It's not going to move forward. If you just take out one of the things that you do that is necessary for a function as a Christian, you're going to be dead in the water, so to speak. Okay, well, let's, well, one more thing with that. Uh, you know, these cars that we have, they're, they're great. And the cars with no tires, it wouldn't go. I used to have a 1965 Chevy 2. A 1965 Chevy 2 was another name for a Nova. And the Chevy Nova. And it was, it's a popular car that's out there. I think they're still making it today. But they made a mistake when they made the automobile. Because they named it Nova, which means star. And so you look at this Chevy Nova and you go, star. But they had a big problem when they tried to market it in Mexico. Because Nova means it doesn't go. 
That's what it means in Spanish. So try to sell a car that say it, that its name is It Doesn't Go. And, and they weren't able to sell it down there. But that's just beside the point. Now let's go over to cooking. Instead of doing automobile mechanic stuff, let's go to cooking. Try baking a cake with no eggs or an oven. You take out those vital ingredients. What are you going to be left with? A soupy flour paste that's going to be there? Well, what about a loaf of bread with no yeast or salt? Isn't that going to be great bread? Or what about chocolate candy with no sugar? Could you imagine eating C's candy with Baker's chocolate? Baker's chocolate has no sugar. Have you ever been deceived by somebody and say, here, here's some chocolate. And they give you a little bit of Baker's chocolate. My mom did that to me once. I was a young kid and she said, here, want some chocolate? Yeah, chocolate. Put it in, It's bitter as can be without sugar. It's no good. So imagine all of these illustrations. Put that into your Christian walk. So I'm not going to read anymore. I'm not going to go to Bible study. You're going to be like the Nova, or you're going to be like the cake that has no eggs and no oven to bake it. All of these things are vital for us. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Don't neglect your gift. Be working at it. Have all the ingredients there, and you will mature. Now, if you don't, do something like that, you might think, I can do what I want. I don't want to be told what to do. Remember, preaching is telling somebody what they ought to be doing according to the word. And if they're not doing it and you encourage them to do it, you may not be liked so much, but that's what the scripture has to say. But if you don't take your gift and fan it into flame, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So if a person in the body of Christ say you are the gear in the transmission, if you say, I'm not going to work at this, you pull yourself out of the body of Christ, well, you might get first gear, second gear, third gear. Uh, It's not working. Sorry, you're not going forward anymore because the one person isn't using their gift. They're not fanning it into flame, so to speak. So the results of someone using and not neglecting their gift, they build up the body of Christ. There is unity in what we all believe. There is unity in the knowledge of Jesus and we become fully mature. That is listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. That's the benefit of somebody using their gift. But if you say... You know, I'm not going to do that. Well, there are things that will not be achieved if we neglect to use our gifts. For instance, there will be no unity of the faith or in the knowledge of the Son of God, and people will not become mature. For instance, disunity will reign inside the body of Christ. Chaos. Could you imagine a tug of war where all these people are lined up with the ropes and half the members on either side, pull in the opposite direction as the rest of their team members. It's not going to work. That rope is just going to stay stationary and it's not going to go anywhere. Or what about being in a canoe with half the rowers rowing backwards? We were just at Disneyland not too long ago and I saw all these people in the canoe and they're going, stroke, and they're just going along. Well, what if half of them started backpedaling? They're not going to go anywhere. Nothing is going to be gained. There's going to be disunity inside of the canoe, and they're going to be dead in the water. What about uh, if you don't pursue knowledge, the knowledge of God? Hosea chapter 4, verse 5 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you cease to take in knowledge, well, people are going to be destroyed because others don't have knowledge, if that is your gift teaching. Or what about immaturity? 
The results in believers when they fail to grasp, accept, understand, or employ the teachings of Scripture, nothing is worse than immaturity when maturity is expected. Nothing is worse. You grow, grow some children up, you hope that they become fully mature, that they're not dependent on you anymore. And if a person who thinks they're mature when they are immature, can you imagine somebody like They think they're so cool. They're so up with it that what they're doing is just, it is fine. And they think they're fully mature beyond their years. You know, that can be quite embarrassing. I have an example for you of somebody who thinks they are really cool and they're not. Now, I want you to uh, pay attention to what this guy does. Daryl? If you notice, he's standing in front of a girl. He's trying to impress the girl by his dance moves. Then maybe he'll be liked by the girl. He's got some cool moves. He's better than all the buddies that are hanging around him. Look at him. He's impressing this girl. He's saying, look at me. I'm so mature. I'm so good at dancing. Now, this is an example of somebody who thinks they're mature. And everybody else is going, you've got to be kidding me. Is this how you win a young woman, a maiden? Okay, Daryl, that's good now. And you watch that and you just start laughing because you go, what is with this kid? He doesn't understand the relationship between men and women. But this is what he has in his mind and he thinks he's kind of cool. Well, the same thing happens with the immature Christian. Sometimes at the one that seeks not to be mature. They just say, I'm, I'm good enough the way that I am. And they don't want to progress at all. And then when they think they have some wisdom to share, usually it's not the case. And sometimes there is foolishness that comes out and we should all have a humble opinion of ourselves. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Yeah, I, I think I know it. I think I got it down. I think I'm a tour. It's all good, but I don't have to fan my gift into flames. And then Timothy is also encouraged here in verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And so all of us are supposed to be making progress. All of us are supposed to be going forward. Now, the formula for moving forward in the faith as a believer or as a pastor has already been listed. Perfect the speech, life, love, faith, purity. And for the pastors, public reading of scripture, preaching and teaching, and work at exercising your gift. If you do these things, it is a guaranteed winner for going forward in the faith to arriving at full maturity. Then he says in verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. This is so crucial to have proper doctrine. Because if you believe the right things, you will be saved. Do you know how many Christian cults there are that are out there that teach wrong doctrine? Of course, you know the the two famous ones, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. They are not saved. They are not going to heaven. God is not going to look at them as, well, they did so many good works out there. 
God's not going to do that. We have to believe in the right Jesus. He is not Michael the archangel. And there is a resurrection and there is eternal punishment and there is eternal glory in heaven. All of these things are correct. And if we communicate these things, we'll save not only ourselves, but our hearers as well. And there's other things that we can do in our lives that are non-negotiables. For instance, Dennis Rainey, president of Family Life Today, he wrote down six things that are non-negotiables. Number one, seek God, not sin. Number two, fear God, not men. Number three, love God, not the world. Number four, believe God, not the deceiver. Number five, obey God, not your appetites. And number six, worship God and not comfort. But when it comes to non-negotiables, the doctrines that we hold to, Jesus, the Trinity, deity of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the sinful state and impending judgment of humankind, the plan of redemption. All those things are non-negotiables. And we should understand what those are as Timothy is being encouraged to do. And so we want to apply all of this. I go back to my grandson, Hendricks, that I'll see today. He's expected to grow and mature. Anything less would be a disappointment. And if we're expected to, To continue and to mature, we need to put our hands to the plow. We have the formula for growth. We have been given a gift and we're to fan it into flame and we should not neglect that because we can actually change the lives of others for the better. And so if we involve ourselves in doing this, the Bible study, the teaching and all of that, that's where we're supposed to be. Now, just a little side note on this. We know who Jesus Christ is, that he saved us by his grace. He gave us his grace, and we do this through faith. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And there's nothing we can do to add to that salvation. But as a disciple, he asks us to move forward. This is all that Paul is asking of Timothy. Move forward in this. Don't ever stop. You know, the rolling stone gathers no moss. We don't want to... Petrify as we continue in our work, we want to glorify Jesus Christ. So that's my exhortation to you. Paul was exhorting Timothy, gave him several directives. Hopefully we can follow through and follow some of these same directives so that we also might go to full maturity. And by the way, one last thing, going on to maturity never ends in this life. Father, we ask for your blessing as we seek to be obedient to you that we would not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but we would be continually moving forward, that we'd not give up, that we'd not look back and say we are tired and it's too tough. We know that there's no retirement from your work in the scriptures. So give us the opportunities, Lord. Give us the training necessary. Put people in our lives to bring us forward in this walk that we maintain here in this life until we see you in glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said, please stand.